All right, welcome to Average Joe's podcast. Uh, this is Zimus Morning. I'm in Wakanda, Illinois. I moved from a Chicago location, and I'm joined by two other people. I'm uh, Mario Romanelli. I'm in Hagerstown, Maryland. I also moved, like Ziggy, a different area. And I'm Felix Peroni, president of the NCDA. I am currently located in Columbus, Ohio. Didn't you move from Kentucky? I did about three years ago. Oh, oh, see, see, we did. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, uh, we have a short podcast for you today. Um, we're going to be talking about um, Stevenson. Uh, they got a first couple of new wins this season, um, first in their history of their program. An overtime win and then a regulation win. Mm-hmm. Mario, why don't you just, how did they win that first match? Uh, first match was against uh, University of Maryland. Um, they were down 2-1, I think 2-1 at halftime. Uh, came back, tied it 2-2, and then we won it in overtime. Um, it was a close It was a close game all around. Uh, Maryland, the home team. Stevenson still a new team. So it was their first uh, overtime win and first win and Stevenson club history, uh, which was pretty exciting to be a part of. Yeah, I mean, that was a, a 3-2 win, a lot of points scored for, I mean, that's about average for an overtime, but um, it's, you know, something to be said, the first win in program history. And then they got their second win. Yeah, the uh, the second win after was after a loss to Towson. Uh, then we played, was uh, UVA, but UVA didn't have their full squad. Um, they were missing their captain, uh, Jeremy Shaw, and a few other good power throwers from what I heard. Uh, plus, I mean, when you're traveling from UVA all the way to Maryland, you know, long trip, I'm sure guys are probably tired from driving and stuff. While Stevenson's like right around the corner compared to Virginia. Um, I mean, a short home field advantage that we don't ever really take, take into yeah. account of. And that, I mean, that happened with... Um, Back when Moody was still in the league, Moody and DePaul were only a couple miles from each other, so it was like a ten-minute train ride. Yeah, and it, uh, it didn't, you know, home field advantage didn't really count because it's like, how do you, how do you do that? But I think uh, Stevenson has a sneaky home field advantage for that case. Yeah, it, it they do. It's like it's a big advantage for like Stevenson, Towson, Maryland, being that they're all close to each other whenever they host tournaments. Um, Especially like in Towson, you know, they're close to Maryland too. Uh, the Halloween weekend also kind of sucks. A lot of players were, I'm sure, out Saturday night before that Sunday tournament. Um, but it was it was interesting. It helped Stevenson um, on these road trips because Stevenson is still a new team. Uh, I think there's really only I think we brought 12 people exactly. I think there was might have been 13, one extra sub, but he was hurt. So it's it's hard to when you're a new club to build a great team and have you know substitutes too you know so that's why the 12v12 definitely helps out a team like them and then being able to travel close also helps them out a lot too so do you think um going down from a 15 to 15 to a 12v12 this season has helped stevenson as a commuter school because they're mostly a big commuter population i think right uh, yeah, I would say so. I mean, I know I am. I'm not on campus that much at Stevenson because I commute and I'm online most of the time. So um, I don't know what the exact population account for Stevenson. I'm sure Chris knows more of those details. He's the captain for Stevenson in case anyone doesn't know. Um, Clutch so, mode. For yeah, yeah and, 
and for clutch mode that's right for elite and udc and a lot of other stuff he's uh he's played a lot of dodgeball he knows his stuff <laughs> um but yes it definitely does help out for stevenson as well as any other new school for just recruiting because we are able to do more with if with the little you have basically if you're yeah. only if you only keep bringing that I just looked up the stats, and Stevenson only has forty four hundred students on undergrad population, so that's pretty small. And you know, it doesn't. You know, it hurts. Yeah, that's how do you pull up that stat so quickly? Uh, I'm quick on the gun, man. Just click. I'm just clicking around. Just clicking. Um, Mario, you're one of the the few people in our organization now that has uh, some pretty extensive experience with the 15 on 15 and the 6v6 in Elite, and then now uh, 12v12. How do you like the 12v12 after spending four years playing 15 on 15 and then taking uh, a little bit of a break from school before going back and uh, playing in Elite and then going back to 12 on 12? How do you like all that? Um to be honest, I kind of like the 6v6 in Elite better because it's just quicker, faster, uh, but it's a smaller court. And you obviously really can't do that with a huge basketball court in NCDA. But I will say I enjoy the 12v12 a lot more than the 15 on 15 because I think it's faster. Um, games go by quicker. Um, it's not as much stalling. I mean, you still got to have stalling, I think, in any kind of dodgeball related you know, format. But I enjoy it a lot more because it just seems that you're able to do, you know, you're able to work with more with people better because you're not worrying about like three other people that are just hiding in the back, kind of. You know what I mean? Like it's it's kind of bad to like have those people on your team you just like keep in the back and don't play. You know, you kind of want to get everybody involved. Mm -hmm. And I think I think by having twelve people get involved a lot easier. Cool. Um. Yeah, no, it's it's really cool to see uh, Stevenson grow. Um, they joined the league back in 2014, so uh, it took about three years, but they, they got some wins under their belt. And Chris is doing a, a really good job, and I'm sure there's a lot of other good names and shout-outs you can make, Mario, to... Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, CJ, one of the other players on... Uh... Stevenson, he also plays baseball year-round for, I think it's the club team there. I'm actually not too sure, but I know he plays baseball year-round. So it's kind of tough for his schedule to play dodgeball for every tournament, especially in the spring semester coming up. And he's one of uh, the better throwers on Stevenson. He makes some mistakes with the lines, attack lines, because he's, I guess, more of an offensive player, which kind of sucks. Yeah. But if you take that away, I think his game is perfect. He can catch, he can throw. He's elusive. He can dodge. So he's an excellent threat on the field or I guess court. <laughs> uh, so he does a great job. Uh, Kyle Runman is another good player for Stevenson. He helps keep the, the tempo as well as uh, Anane. Uh, so he's another player on Stevenson. They all do great play. They all have, they all have great uh, mindsets going into the game. And I think that's one thing I like about Stevenson is they come in wanting to play, wanting to win that good, that good tempo. It's just they need more experience because a good a problem with Stevenson is there's real they're not an official club sport team yet. They're like doing paperwork right now, trying to get a gym court so they can practice. So I mean, yeah, I think, I think they're still on a registered organization, which is like some really hard stuff. Because I think um, UVA and especially VCU had the same problem going in their first initial years. They weren't club sport status, but they were just a general registered student org. 
Yeah. Like, yeah, they couldn't like um, request court time and have it be free or something like that. There's a lot of benefits they lose that could stifle the program a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's hard to, to when I mean, you have a program like that and you can't get court time. You know, you can't even request it either. And it's like, how do you practice, you know, 12 on 12 matches if you can only like practice in like a racquetball court, you know? But even then, the there's the racquetballs for the bread and butter. As long as you're playing dodgeball, <laughs> I mean, then yeah. you, you step up a little bit. It's kind of getting through that that bump bump periods until you get uh, really campus recognized and, you know, have cool. people start talking about you. Well, that's how DePaul started originally, right? Back in like 2000. Yeah, and then so did uh, MSU in IM West, I think, like way back. It couldn't have, couldn't have been before or somewhere else with IM West, but they were just playing in the racquetball courts because they didn't have space and racquetball was free. <laughs> exactly. And then now look, see, they go from racquetball courts, they get the gym courts, they practice more, and then look at them. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, maybe not this season. Uh, I don't want to be mean, but uh, no, the MSU is still a strong program, even in the state of Michigan, and I'm sure they can compete with anybody else in the league. And they they started with racquetball courts, so you can go from anywhere. That's right. Well, let's let's jump into um, a recent discussion where uh, we recorded this earlier today. We had a player from uh, Nebraska, out in Lincoln, Nebraska, um, shatter his arm um, throwing a dodgeball at practice the other day. So we we uh, we saw this, and then Felix posted to a group, and we had a a big discussion about medical injuries in dodgeball. So um, I have a little bit of stats to share if people just want to look because as a league we have a policy to report injuries like this whenever they happen and it's usually you know serious injuries up until like slightly above minor so like bloody finger is not going to warrant a reportable offense but like you know a shattered femur or a humerus that obviously is something that needs to be reported and most schools are going to be doing this anyway they have their own forms like uh You've seen some injuries over the years, Mario. Yeah, some bad ones. Um, I think it was my first year at Nationals. Somebody uh, broke their leg during, I think it was at Western Kentucky. I forgot which team it was, but somebody broke their leg. And it kind of, I think not it was only. Louisville. Who? Louisville. Louisville. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think it was uh, Tyson Mock from uh, Louisville uh, Nationals 2011. Yeah, which is a pretty, really bad injury. I mean, and it also uh, hurts the flow of the game, too, because you have to stop, you know, address the injury. And hurts the flow, hurts the schedule, because usually you're you're sitting on the court waiting for EMS to handle it. And, it, you know, it's like an hour to get that all sorted out. So, like, that court's kind of out of commission. Yeah, so yeah. we yeah, still we still finished day uh, day one of nationals that year on time. I'm not going to brag or anything, but uh, oh, you know, <laughs> I mean, who was in charge of that scheduling? Props mm. to that guy, right? Yeah, weird. I don't know. <laughs> um, what do you remember about that injury? Did I think you you talked about he just came down on it and it broke? Yeah, I was actually talking to someone about that today at work. Um, he literally 
like it looked like he got startled. Uh, he jumped up uh, about four inches into the air uh, to dodge a ball that was nowhere near him. Uh, when he came down, his leg was broken in three places. Um, he was just um, he must have just hit at the right time at the right angle or something. But it wasn't like he didn't jump 15 feet in the air. It was just a little hop that resulted in a broken leg. So I think it was just a freak accident. Yeah, and um, there's actually, in, a, in the, the few records that we have so far um, compiled in this one location that I did today, there's a couple of those that actually, you know, similar things that just happened. So, like, uh, Sam Murphy, our good friend Sam Murphy, I mean, I'll, I'll, I usually wouldn't point him out, but he got injured at the, the Chicago Dodgeball Open 2012, um, and he just hit the floor and gashed his chin open and he needed six stitches for it and it's just, he fell he fell on the floor normally there was nothing really he doesn't wear jewelry or anything it was just he hit the floor and started gushing blood and i remember talking he was like how did you do this he's like i don't know just fell over <laughs> i just fall and he fell over so uh, i remember sam also that tournament thought it'd be a great idea to pull an all-nighter before because he thought that would be better than getting just a few hours of sleep. <laughs> so I think I don't know if he was fully awake too during that tournament. Yeah, I mean it it's it's weird. Um same tournament, uh another player of ours got hit on the opening rush, and that was when we still had uh opening rush collision, you know, team versus team. And now uh, a lot of rule sets have the split opening rush where you can only rush to balls on your right side and you cannot you know, exchange players. Um, back then, we still had the opening rush. It was 10 on 10. And, you know. Oh, yeah. All cool. 10 balls right in the middle. That's right. You had to take them back. Yeah, you I had remember. to take them back to the baseline. And uh, that was that was messy. And that's it's, why we changed it is because we had so many injuries. And there's, there's only a couple that have been recorded over the years because while we have the policy to submit results, like, some of them just don't get in. Like the Louisville um, tournament in 2011, that, that didn't get recorded. But we know yeah. of it. So yeah, I'll yeah. put it in here sometime. Good. Uh, I mean, I think that was, that really helped uh, decrease the amount of injuries. Because I know my freshman year, I hated running for the opening rush because you're, it's literally 15 people on both ends running in the middle for 10 balls. There's yeah, going to be like 10, 10. It was like 10 and then five people like us would sit in the back because we thought it was stupid. And now the same thing is like some people just sit in the back on our current NCD opening rushes because it's live balls and they just don't want to get out. Yeah. But no, it's a, a good thing about the new rush. And um, I don't know if it's, it's a, we put it in maybe 2013 or 14. And uh, so it's been around for a while. And I've seen a lot more leagues that are just starting with uh, the separated three, you know, separated rush, where you can only rush to one side. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's better, but uh, now would you have so for that instance, would you have five balls on one side, five balls on the other, so every team gets five for ours? Um, no, for the, for the, I mean, I I go back and I could go back to the rules the the rule that we asked or the question we asked people to vote on and a separated rush was not even in the question. Like it just wasn't known at that time. Wasn't really played. Um, at least known by the, the college Midwest, you know, segment of the population. It wasn't even on the short list. 
and that was mainly just it. It was opening rush or keep the balls. It wasn't anything separate. Uh, and I mean, I think that the the best thing about the separate rushes is you there's no chance of running into somebody, but you still have the opening rush advantage for teams that are fast. So it it's as long as I feel like there's a ball in the middle that people are going to run, there's always that chance people are going to be running into each other, even if like not like on purpose. Like there could be people just that can't stop in time and then they run into each other. I mean, let, let's see. We look at the UDC rules that that's the trampoline league and they start with two balls and there's one ball in the middle and they have a really light, you know, rush. And they just have one. I think they might allow only one player to rush for that ball. So it's only one on one. And at the same time, they can't really break the plane past half court because they don't have a neutral zone at all. So like you, if uh, if you barely go over it, then you're okay. But if you like put your whole body over it and then get the ball, then you're out because you broke the plane, you know, in a certain arbitrary way that the ref decides. So yeah, it's, it's weird. I but it's I would love to have a new opening rush vote for the NCDA because I'm not sure our our way is the best or even still safe enough, but. Um, at least it's it's changed from body collision to more like just teams throwing very hard at each other at near each other because right now our balls are live off the rush we have a kind of split so like there's three four three so three on the attack line the nearest attack line then four on half court and then three on the other attack line and the balls are live so you pick up that first attack line and just beam somebody but that's the the biggest problem i've seen so far is people get a little aggressive and yeah, well, yeah, that can happen. Are paying attention as as paying attention as if they were like you know playing a regular game during the during the game and not off the opening rush. That's true. Uh, I I get it. I mean, because you when you're running for the ball, sometimes you're just focused on the ball and you're not really paying attention to everything around. Uh, I, don't know. I I would like to see a new a new rush vote, um, if only to keep our rules consistent, new and flavorful. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Felix, you're one of the few players I know that have played with 15 on 15 with 10 balls in the middle and then elite where the separation rush and then now the balls live rush on the current rule for the NCDA. Is there any one that you find favorable or you prefer? Um, I can honestly say that I never participated in the, the new NCDA rush. I thought it was stupid. Um, I, I I was in the league at that opportunity, but I always stood in the back. Um, I hated the rule. Um, I didn't like that it uh, that I had the opportunity to get out. And at the time that I was at WKU, I was one of the only throwers, so uh, it wasn't um, a good idea for me to and then maybe not get caught back in. Um, yeah, uh, so, I know. I know that feeling because I've had that happen when I was at the Paul, where I've gone out on the opening rush and then no one called me back in, and it kind of sucked because, right, you know, there's nothing you can do really. Yeah, so um, I didn't mind the old ten in the middle rush, but it was very dangerous. Um, I didn't mind it because I was fast and I can get to the ball, but I didn't. Uh, I didn't really care for colliding with other gentlemen or ladies um the the elite one the split that's fine to me 
because I can still rush. And then there is the opportunity to get out because you have to clear it. But the, the clear line's only, I think, what, four or five feet behind the, yeah, the I don't, midline. I, don't, I think it's five uh, feet. Five feet, yeah. I would say it's about that. Um, I know it's So not, that's it's, cool. Yeah. It, it, like you said, it's the, the safety thing is the big thing when coming to the, the rush in the middle with balls. Um, but if you're fast enough and you're able to stop, I mean, you don't run the risk of getting out, which is why a lot right. of more people are okay running. They just don't want to get hurt. Um, yeah. Yeah. When, when we were going through all the stuff with um, revamping the opening rush, I think I proposed or someone proposed, or I just thought it was a great idea. I don't know where everyone starts off with each team starts off with three balls and four in the middle. And then you basically fight for those four in the middle. I kind of like that just because, um, I think I could force these people back. to make a decision. I can look back at the old preferential vote, but I think no one liked that. <laughs> yeah, just me. <laughs> I think it was like uh, two or three out of the 20 teams that voted. It was weird. I, we'll, we'll, we'll post it in this post. That we yeah, it sounds about right. I mean, a lot of the ideas that I've had over the years are silly ones. Um, and some of them actually get voted in. Like a catch resets the shot clock when you have 10 people. That was you a have a 10 count. I mean, it was a silly idea, but it was a nice execution. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I exactly. proposed that as a joke, and everyone's like, yeah, that sounds great. I was like, you guys are all stupid. <laughs> were, um, you, were you the same one that proposed a catch to be two people in? Not no, one? that was Wes Peters. I am that not that like... dumb. <laughs> what was his rationale? Oh, his rationale was a team catch wouldn't be anybody in, but a catch is two people in. <laughs> yeah, something and, like that. And yeah. also, Wes is just good at catching, so he just wanted to benefit himself. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, okay, so that that's all opening rush injuries. Let's talk about injuries that happen while you throw a dodgeball. Mm -hmm. um, and we don't have a lot of them the registered, but we did have that, that most recent one today was he he was a thrower, and he was throwing a dodgeball, and it cracked when he threw. And we had an incident with MSU last year, two years ago, 2016 of January. They uh, threw a dodgeball. One guy threw a dodgeball. They, th they heard a loud pop, and the, the kid's arm shattered in multiple places. It's just not good. And you, I was going to add on to that. I feel like I've known a fair amount of dodgeball players, and I think all of us have too, where we've known people who have needed surgery on their shoulder or somewhere on their arm because of uh, a dodgeball-related injury of just throwing. So to, to add on to the part of like people breaking their arms, throwing, and then they're also tearing ligaments or separating shoulders. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's only like one torn ACL that's recorded. There's a couple, there's been a couple in the Michigan stools, but I mean, that's ACL is, you know, a lower body injury, not a, not a arm injury. And then this is mainly a throwing sport. So you'll see a lot of injuries from the fingers to the elbow to the shoulder um, and, you know, and the bones in between, the connecting bones in between, because that's what the, that's the operational environment of our bodies when doing this. I mean, we're pretty lazy when we're, we're moving around on the court, I think. People walk around, people maybe sprint, but the operational load on your body is definitely in your arms, stuff like that, from catching or throwing or just even dodging and keeping balance while you do after you dodge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, there's a couple like jam fingers and stuff, and that's like you know, agreed. Yeah, right. I've had sprained wrist, but that's that's the extent of my injury so far. Um, yeah, I mean, I've had a dislocated finger, and I mean, just like cramps, really, with like my hand cramping or my wrist or anything like that being mm-hmm. sprained, but. Uh, do you think that because NCDA players were all in college, were young, do you think that might have anything to do with injuries? Like people, their bodies are still growing and they're throwing like 70 miles per hour. Um, I don't think it's I, – I looked at our average throw speed, and our average throw speed is only like 54. Well, yeah, because guys like Wes bring it down, so that's why. Wes and Bean bonus. No, but uh, I mean most most players – I think it's more of an educational issue. Like I remember talking to some kids at DePaul, like when they asked for it, it's like, how do I throw faster? And I was like, don't worry about throwing faster. Just worry about throwing the way that doesn't hurt your arm at the end of the night. Yeah. Uh, over my four years of playing just um, at dodgeball night, my right arm became used to throwing a dodgeball, how I did it. So I never hurt, never got a sore arm. Rarely did I get a sore arm after events just because I think I molded my arm into some kind of safe way of throwing. And I tried to spread that knowledge, but I'm, just, I'm not a medical field, so I'm glad that we have guys like Josh Connor from OSU and Alfred Kwan from uh, Kent State and maybe another team. But they're probably... You played for OSU. Oh, OSU. I saw him in some Kent State jerseys, so I think I, I know him from Kent State. Yeah, he did play for Kent State for a while, didn't he? Yeah, while he was in medical school or while he was doing his residency, uh, he was at Kent State. But he was on the uh, 05 and 06 OSU national championship teams, so he's been around for a minute. Yeah, he's been he's been a, so like I was I was great to see him pop up today, and um, we're actually probably going to do a, a collaboration article with him through the NCDA about uh, yeah. college players playing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mario, you brought up the point that we're all kind of young and developing, and I've looked up um, the average age of the uh, of an NCBA player is twenty point eight years, almost twenty one. Um, now, yeah. um, most of our organization is freshmen based on the membership mm-hmm. uh, registration form, but yeah, I'd say um, that could potentially uh, be a factor. Uh, one of the articles that someone had posted in the hashtag dodgeball family group said that um, one one reason why people break their humerus when throwing is because they're forced into an unnatural throwing style. So like Zig was saying, like throw the way that doesn't make your arm hurt. That's that's absolutely key. If you're trying to throw a way that's unnatural to you, you're going to injure yourself. Yeah. yeah. And uh, they were talking about tucking elbow and using your the whole core of your um, body because a lot of your power comes from just your movement of your legs stepping into the throw. And um, it's not, you can't get, you can only get so many whipping action on your arm <laughs> before it shatters, obviously. But I mean, in general, like you stood that spring isn't as powerful as your whole body plus that. Yeah. I think, I, and I hope this will be cleared up in, in the article we do, and we'll have like some medical facts, to back, medical medical people to back us up. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I was bringing up the age thing because uh, I know in baseball in major league, it seems like a lot of more pitchers are getting Tommy John surgery or just 
getting hurt naturally. And I think it's kind of coming off what you said, Felix. I think they're forced to throw these fast, hard, these hard fastballs, and they're throwing not in like a normal way. I'm guessing because I mean, if you ever see a baseball pitcher throw, their arm doesn't look natural. It's right. just they're all bending all over the place. Like, so I think well, that could be a big reason why. Yeah, and they're throwing in a way that that they're being guided by by their coaches. So their coaches saying this works for 90% of the people. Throw it this way, while like their natural body movements may not that might not be conducive for them. So mm-hmm. throwing in a way that that feels better for them in the long run or even in the short run, because you're not going to be playing dodgeball for 20 years, your body's going to break down before then, but um, throw how you feel best when you can or while you can. Yeah. And I guess if you can't throw, then catch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. A- exactly. Yep. <laughs> um, and then you just have to watch broken thumbs and, and web fingers. Cause we have a couple of those, the, the webbing between your fingers. Um, we have two separate incidents. Um, reported incidents of that cracking. That's disgusting. Yeah, that's <laughs> bad. Could you know? It's it, it. It goes from any any anything. So, yeah. is, I, I think it's just we need to be honest about it, the dangers of the sport. But in general, like I think injuries generally aren't that pervasive. Like you'll have twenty players on a team, and one player gets injured. In the course, yeah. it's not that much. I mean, and, and when they're playing a full school season from September to June, mm-hmm. for and it's most most of the stuff that's recorded is from practice nights and dodgeball nights, and not really between two matches. Plus, you got to wonder. I mean being that we were in college, we're probably doing more than just dodgeball. We might be playing other club sports or be a part of other teams. You know, even like intramurals, like playing intramural flag football during yeah. the dodgeball season. So, well, even just people screwing around at dodgeball night, not doing anything. Like one of our friends was playing around with a soccer ball on the court, and he sprained the ball. He sprained his ankle because he played, <laughs> and it happened on dodgeball court during dodgeball. <laughs> we played dodgeball at the time, so then the soccer ball got sprained too. No. Just, <laughs> uh, just, well, <laughs> Well, I, I know what you mean. It's happened before. I know in one of our nights, this was years ago, Zig, I don't know if you remember this, where one, one of our players was playing around with his water bottle and he threw it up and it went onto the court and he hit somebody in the back of the head. And oh my God. It, it was Sam Murphy. And he ended up getting a concussion from that because it was like a solid, hard <laughs> water bottle. And he just, he didn't mean to. He was just like tossing it around and he accidentally let it go and it hit him in the head. I don't it remember, was- but Sam had a bunch of – um, concussion problems and like there was a point where it's like we can't let you play anymore seriously because you're just gonna get another concussion there. yeah and it's all like freak accidents it's not like he gets like a hard headshot it's like something stupid he, he fell down and like he hit his head on like the side of the wall while dodging and it's like yeah I, no that's the thing <laughs> um um uh, do you guys have any other passing comments on medical stuff uh, no, I think drink really. milk, kids. Yeah, drink your milk. That'll be part of the article. That'll be the main tagline. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah but you know, milk doesn't really build strong bones. You know that, Felix, right? You, no, I, I don't know that. <laughs> I believe everything I hear in commercials. 
Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, on that note, um, I think we're going to sign off. Um, I was um, Mario Romanelli. <laughs> you were my. I was. I'm no longer him. I'm someone else. I'm Felix Peroni in Columbus, Ohio. And I'm Zygmunt Maloney in Wakan, Illinois. And this has been Average Joe's Podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening to Average Joe's Podcast. Be sure to check out more episodes of Average Joe's on iTunes or our website, ncdadodgeball.com. Until next time, just remember the five D's of dodgeball. Dodge, duck, dip, dive, and die. Bye-bye.